<laughs> Testing, you guys can hear me good? Awesome, cool. All right, what's up, man? Thanksgiving break already here, Christmas around the corner. Time is flying fast. All my teacher friends out there, we get a week off. Man, so thankful for that. Um, Colleen, this is actually our first week, our, our first time having Thanksgiving week off. So thought that was pretty dope. I was excited because the past, usually the last couple of years, I would always ask off Monday and Tuesday because I would never want to be at the school those last, those, those first two days. So I'm very thankful. Um, Real quick, I'm going to open us up in prayer again, and then we'll start diving in because there's a lot to cover. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, Lord. Um, <clears throat> thank you that we are able to meet together here, Father God, and um, just be led in worship um, and have this opportunity to come and um, get to know you through fellowship with the church. And I just pray, Father God, that your your word, that scripture will come to life and um We'll not only come and speak life, but, um, but we'll also come to convict and to um, call us back to you, O oh Lord. And so um, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, Jesus and who he is. And um, I just pray you'll, you'll meet us here, O oh God, and you'll bless our time together. Love you, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in James, um, James chapter 4. Uh, past weeks, months, or one month, um, we've been going through the book of James. Um, I happen to choose James chapter 4. For some reason, ever, um, ever since I've been preaching here, I always choose the passages of Scripture that just have a lot to go over, right? And so I happen to choose another one like that, um, where there's just a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of content, um, just a lot of things to, to, to talk about and to go over. Um, so by God's grace, I'm going to do my best to, to try to um, flow through this um, as <clears throat> smoothly as I can, and also at the same time um, get to the point, right? Um, so James, again, um, he, he practically and faithfully reminds the Christians how to live, um, from perseverance to true faith to controlling one's tongue, submitting to God's will. This book aids readers, his readers that he's writing to, in living genuinely and wisely for Christ. Um, so the, the people that he's speaking to, for the most part in this book, are born-again, genuine believers. At the same time, um, they are fighting through struggles. We saw last week with Megan, um, taming the tongue, watching what they say, stuff like that. A lot of them were just really struggling in that area. And uh, in James chapter 4, um, uh, he, he comes at them pretty hard. Um, he rebukes them, um, but he also... He tells them to remedy towards that and how they can come back to God. And not only that, but how God wants them, um, how God wants to um, redeem them and he wants to forgive them. And so we'll go ahead and dive in. Um, dive in with the uh, first verse. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. Um, raise your hand. Does anybody in here like conflict, like arguments? Nobody? Some of y'all do? Y'all messy. Y'all some petty people, man. I, I don't. Um, I, for some reason, one thing that I've noticed, um, I, I've, I've, 
I have a, a bad habit of, of assuming things, and so I, I tend to always um, jump to conclusions, and I'd oftentimes I, I sometimes will cause these arguments, um, whether they're big, minor, whatever. I just have a bad habit of doing that, right? Um, <clears throat> that being said, I don't like conflict at all, all right? And I, I can say for the most part, um, if we really think about it, most of the conflict that we have um, is on us. It's not necessarily the other person. I would say most of the time, right? Um, James here, he's asking us another question. Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So he's challenging us to cast our minds back to a recent conflict. What happened? Why did it take place? If there is conflict that seems to be over, um, reoccurring, why does it do so? What is going on, right? So he, he's wanting us to go back and think, the last time you had a conflict, you had an argument, what exactly happened? What caused it? Kind of answers his own question. In the next verse, he says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? All right. And so and I, I could guarantee you most of the time when we think back to a recent problem, we think to ourselves, okay, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. It was all, you know, that other person's fault. All right. Whether this is a spouse, a girlfriend, a friend, someone in class, uh, your teacher, I don't know. But we always tend to think that it's automatically the other person's fault and I'm innocent and I didn't do anything wrong, right? Um, and I know for me personally, when that happens in my life, what I always try to do is I always try to examine my heart and I always try to tell myself, all right, the, the, the things that I say, um, was that out of a, that I have a, a, a good motive for saying that, uh, that I have a selfish heart for saying those things? Why did I say it? And James is saying here that the answer may seem obvious, that the blame is put on other people, but it actually isn't. It's actually the, um, our, it's actually our, our passions, our, the stuff that is going deep inside within our hearts. And James is saying, it's you. You're the problem. You have selfish hearts. You have selfish desires that are not being met from this other person. And James is seeing this going on Christians that he knows, people inside the church, things that shouldn't be happening at all. And James is calling his readers, Christians, us, to think differently about these conflicts that arise, right? Uh, next verse, <clears throat> he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Um, and James, is, he, he, keep press, he keeps pressing that in, no matter how hard you think it's the other person, James is saying, I'm not going to let you answer it that way. It's within you. It's your own fault. And you have to um, think down deep and ask yourself, what is going on here? You know? So the, the, the pattern I'm seeing here is we are driven by our own desires. Deep down inside, we are selfish people. And we're wanting something from that other person, some kind of expectation, some kind of desire, and when that is not being met, it bursts out into conflict. And I would, I would say this most of the time. Maybe not every single time, but I guarantee you most of the time, if you think back to an argument or whatever kind of conflict, I could guarantee you most of the time that is what's happening. And again, in short, conflict arises because our own desires are not being met. Right? So hold on to that thought because James just keeps pressing us in as we keep going forward. Um, and if we stop here, we may have our money's worth. Like, if we stop here, we may have a profound psych psychological 
pulling back of the curtain of our hearts, right? But if we stop there, we're not going to answer the most important question, which is what exactly stops this from happening, right? Because if you think about it, we're always going to be, we're always going to want something, all right? We're always going to have expectations from other people. That's just, that's just the way we're wired. Some of us are wired a lot more. Some of us are, are wanters a lot more, and some of us may not desire as much, but there's not an off switch to that. We're always going to want something. We're always going to be selfish deep down within, all right? And James is saying um, the solution may appear that it may be from us stopping our wanting, um, but again, our hearts are never going to be that desire-free, all right? So we'll answer that question as we keep moving forward. Um, the next verses, he, he goes on to say, and he, he's kind of he shifted over to prayer, and we have this mindset of us being so selfish and us always wanting something that affects our prayer life and affects how we approach God in prayer. Check out what he says here. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right. I think two things that Christians are forgetting here. We, we see here when Christians allow these desires to erupt in the conflict, we forget two things, God's grace and God's goodness. Um, and I say God's grace, <coughs> excuse me, because when we don't pray, you do not have because you do not ask. We're not having a, a prayer life when, when, when he's saying that. We're trying to run things on our own. We're trying to um, seek, not seeking God through this conflict, but instead going to other people. All right? So that's why we don't, that's why you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3 says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And again, he, he goes back there to spending it on your own passions. We see the selfishness in our hearts um, through prayer um, in that verse. And again, James here is saying, he's rebuking his readers because they're only going to God for their own agenda. They're only going to God, they're treating him like a genie. And they're treating him like they're, they are wanting to get whatever they want. And James is saying, that's not the way prayer works. All right? He's saying that when you ask, you're not receiving that because you're asking with the wrong motives. And again, it's going back to our selfishness. It's going back to us wanting what we want. And not looking to God and really asking him, you know, hey, um, God, how can I align my prayers, my wants to your will? Right. Um, next slide. He says the purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to do what you want. It is actually a means by which we align ourselves to his priorities. Part of the point of prayer is to remind ourselves what God wants. And again, James is seeing the readers here. Um, the people in the church, they're not doing that, right? They're getting caught up, caught up in the way the world operates, the way unbelievers operate, and they are getting into a lot of conflict. They're not knowing how to handle that conflict. Um, they're being selfish in their thinking. They're having cold, hard hearts, and that is transferring over to their prayer life. And James is seeing that there's a pattern there that when you, when you think like that, when you do that, then you're not praying the way you're supposed to, and you're praying wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. Rico Tice, a British pastor, pastor um, puts it like this. We turn God into a divine waiter. He is there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with him on Sunday. We put our order in via prayer. We might give him a decent temp, tip in the collection plate, but God is essentially there to give us what we feel 
we need. And we get furious with him if he doesn't deliver. Um, and so again, not only are we not um, praying the way we ought to pray, but when we do, we are praying to uh, meet our needs. We are praying um, to ask God to do something that doesn't necessarily line up um, to his will. But not only that, not according to um, the Bible says in the way we should be praying about. Um, so two things that the Christians forget there is God's grace and God's goodness. Um, moving on to the next verse. And James just keeps just piling it up. He just keeps adding on to um, just the way these believers are thinking and the way they're acting, right? Because these are Christians that we're talking about, but they're not acting like that, okay? So James just keeps going here. Uh, I love it because then this next one, he kind of rebukes them, and he's all like, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Um, right off the bat, he says you adulterous people. He doesn't say you idolaters. He doesn't, say, he doesn't use any other term. He says you adulterous people. Um, before we move forward, so we're seeing that, again, conflict. Because of our hearts, because of our selfish needs, because of our selfish wants, we are seeing that we have conflict with one another, but also we're seeing here that that conflict also that, um, transfers over to our relationship with God. It's affecting our relationship with God, right? And James is saying here, um, he, he, calls, he, he tells them that you have adulterous hearts. Now, what exactly does that mean? Um, the Bible loves to use imagery, Right? Some of the imagery that it loves to use is God does not just love us the way a shepherd loves a sheep, right? Um, or the way a father loves a son. You guys have heard that, that imagery used throughout New Testament. Um, but he loves us the way a husband loves his wife, right? Um, so the imagery here was powerful because the same way that, that we think how horrible it is for a wife to discover their spouse is in an affair. Um, but James says that such horrendous behavior appropriately describes what Christians do when they turn their back on God. He calls them adulterous people. He, he, he calls it spiritual unfaithfulness, spiritual adultery. Because when we do that, and it's just as serious as when a spouse were to do that with her husband. And James is saying, man, that's, 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 that's sin. That's spiritual unfaithfulness. And James is saying, if we look inside of ourselves, we are doing that because, again, our hearts are cold. We are selfish people. Um, so just think of that. I know that sounds weird, you know, saying that God loves us the same way a husband loves his wife. Um, but that imagery is used in the Bible to describe God's love for us, to describe that he is jealous um, for us. Um, friendship with the world here means um, living to please yourself apart from God, rather than, find, uh, rather than living to find pleasure in God himself, right? So obviously we're called to, to be into the world. We, we have jobs. We go to school. We participate. And just a lot of things that this world has to offer. Um, but James is saying here um, that when we please ourselves apart from God and we live and indulge in what the world has to offer, that's having friendship with the world. And I think at times, obviously, um, as believers, there may be times where we slip, we're tempted to do that, right? Um, 
<clears throat> and James is warning us here that, hey, man, when you do that, you know, you're, you're becoming an enemy of God. You're inviting God's opposition into your life, and you don't want to do that, right? And so he calls it friendship um, with the world. And again, God, we're going to see here in the next verse that God has, um, he is jealous for us, right? In verse 5, it says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealousy longs for the spirit he calls to dwell in us? Um, jealousy, that, that can be a confusing term for um, a lot of people. Because um, a lot of times when we think of, of someone being jealous, we think it has to do with insecurity, fear. It's an automatic, like, negative term, right? But with God, he has this healthy um, idea of, of, of jealousy for us, right? Um, but again, it, it can be a confusing concept. I, I, I was reading that uh, Oprah Winfrey, she, she was at a church apparently one Sunday, and she heard about the jealousy of God, and immediately... That turned her off, and she said, if God is jealous, God can't be God, all right? So a couple of things rose in my mind. First is, was she at a good, solid church? I don't know if she was or not. Another thing that that popped into my mind is um, she probably was at a good church, but she just completely was just turned off when she heard about the jealousy of God and how God is jealous for us. So don't get turned off by that idea. Um, Again, God um, has a healthy form of jealousy in which a husband has for his wife, right? Um, if, if, you're, uh, you know, if a husband had his wife, you know, going to seeing other guys or whatever, and obviously she was doing it for the wrong reason, a husband would have a right to be jealous for his wife, okay? Obviously, there's an unhealthy form of that too as well, but that is not what God has for us. God is jealous for our undivided attention. And he was jealous for um, the Christians that James is talking about here because they were given so much of their attention to the world. They were given, they were reacting the wrong way in conflicts. They weren't praying the right way. And God was jealous because they did not have all of his attention. I think at times, if we think about it, if we examine our own lives, how often do we find ourselves in the same situation? All right. And it's crazy because even when we do that, even when we turn our back on God, God is still wanting our attention. He is still yearning jealousy for us, right? <clears throat> John Piper, I like what he says here. Um, God's jealousy is not for the reflex of weaknesses or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her. And gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weaknesses, weakness, but from a holy indignation that having his honor and power and mercy scorned by, by the faithfulness of a fickle spouse. We, so we see this picture here of someone rescued, ransomed, clean, and, and put in place of honor who then betrays that rescue and runs back to her shame. And man, that the idea that God is jealous for me no matter what I do as a Christian, as believers, um, is encouraging. It, 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 it's saying that God wants me no matter what sin that I commit. So just to be clear, God is not jealous about us, but he's jealous for us. He's jealous for the spirit he gave us, and he's jealous for us to experience the fullest joy possible. Um, that's made in knowing him, loving him, following him. 
Um, and again, God wants that from us, guys. All right. Um, so <clears throat> I guess you could say that's kind of all like the bad part of James, right? Because this next couple of verses, um, he really in, he really tells us what is God's response to this type of adultery. What is God's response to this type of opposition that us that Christians when we do when we invite God's opposition in our life when we do. When we are spiritually unfaithful to God, what is God's response to this? And again, this is for um, the Christians, this is for believers. Um, <clears throat> he press, he, James himself, he presses us deeper and keeps writing. This is what he says here. Um, <clears throat> he said, he gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me read that again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, that's, that's, it's encouraging to read because the good news of the gospel is that grace abounds all the more, right? Like no matter what we do, no matter what happens in this life, God will always pursue us. God will always keep us, all right? There will always be grace for those who humble themselves before God, Okay? Now, if we, if we stay in our same state and we think that we don't need God's grace, then obviously he's not going to give that generously to us. But he's saying here that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay? <clears throat> there is grace for those who submit to God, but the grace that forgives is also the grace that transforms. Next verse um, <clears throat> James lays out, he tells us to submit to God, and he, he lists about three ways on how we can receive that saving grace. And so let's read this. Uh, the first part says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, right? Um, when Jesus addressed those who wanted to be his disciples back in the Gospels, he said that they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So James is calling his readers back to... Um, Go back to what the Christian life should always be marked by, submission, okay? That's one thing that we have to remember as believers, that we must always submit to God. There'll be times we may fall away. There'll be times when we do fall short, but we must always go back and submit to the grace of God. And James is laying that out here. Um, he lays out afterwards a couple of ways that we can receive that, that we can do that, okay? Um, but I think, again, I think it's important for us to remember um, that when he gives grace generously to us, um, we have to reach, there's a state that we have to reach in order for us to receive it, and then there's also a proper response to that, okay? Um, it's one thing for us that God to give, to show us lavish and give us grace, but then if we run back to our own sin, if we run back to just the ways of this world that we were indulging, it doesn't necessarily work like that. You didn't really receive the grace of God because if you did, um, then it would, it would um, move you to um, change your behavior. And so, um, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then the first one that he says, he says, resist the devil. Um, he says, real brief, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's all he says. Then he moves on to the next one. Um, but resisting the devil, I think it's important that he says this. Um, go ahead and move to the next slide. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter reminds us in First Peter 5, 8. That the devil um, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, right? 
Satan is always there. He's always trying to tempt us. He's always trying um, to um, tempt us in the sin. Um, but James is telling us here to um, have a healthy balance of who the enemy is and what he can do, right? Um, James is saying here, just resist him and he will flee from you. The highest form of resistance to the devil is to submit to all, is, is to submit to God and who he is. And um, James is saying here that um, if you resist him, he will flee from you. That's crazy, right? Like, just imagine, like, um, just maybe um, an intimidating idea or somebody at your job or uh, a bully for that matter, you know. Some of those things we resist, they don't really flee from us. They don't really run away from us, right? But James is saying here, if we resist the devil, he will flee from you, right? Um, and I kind of want to go into that more because then he kind of keeps building on top of that. He kind of keeps building on what it looks like to submit to God, even how to resist the devil too as well. The second one that he talks about, um, next slide, is uh, pursuing God. And he says this, to resist the devil is to turn towards God. And James could give us no greater encouragement um, to do this than to, um, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Um, and one of the first things that we can do as far as drawing near to God is reading your Bible, okay? Um, and real briefly, these aren't new things, okay? These are things that we constantly talk about at TBC. We constantly kind of drive these things to you guys. Um, so the first one is, is reading your Bible. It's one way we can pursue God, knowing God through his word, um, letting him reveal himself to us through scripture, right? Um, Wednesday nights, one of the equip groups led by Miss uh, Ron Slavin, she does a dope job, really good job, um, and she talks about in that class, um, the class is called How to Study the Bible, and I, one of the things that she said that first Wednesday night was she is aware that we are in the Bible Belt, but she's also aware that most of you guys probably haven't... Not, probably haven't read your Bible since Impact Cap, Camp, or most of you guys don't read it daily or barely at all. Um, and she says, she then goes on to say that just reading the Bible, studying God, and knowing about it is essential, is vital to your Christian life. It's, one, it's often one of the most underlooked things um, as believers that we take for granted, right? Um, so reading your Bible, my encouragement to you guys, again, if you're going to that class on Wednesdays, keep going. Um, she crams in a lot of information all in one night, but she does a really, really good job doing it. Second encouragement to you guys is um, another way to also um, learn how to read the Bible and just enjoy doing it is finding devotional, finding a group of friends and reading it there, maybe doing a Bible study together. Um, but just even doing stuff like that, man, um, reading together with other believers that can also be um, encouraging and also be easier for you to maybe develop those habits too as well. Um, so pursuing God, one way to do that is reading the Bible. Another way is walking in community with one another. Um, so not only is reading the Bible together, reading the Bible on your own, but also um, getting to know God through the saints with the church. Not even necessarily with the church, but just with other believers around you, Okay. Um, don't live an isolated life, guys, where you think <clears throat> that just because you go to church Wednesday, Sunday, you may even hit up G Group, 
you know, maybe, maybe uh, hit up Sunday morning Bible study at your school. All that is fine, but you can still do all of that and not be in community with one another, okay? And I can't, I can't tell you enough, man, just throughout the years, um, times where I've just felt down or times when I felt like the sin that I committed, um, I was so ashamed of doing, I had those brothers in Christ who I could just call or text and they were there for me. And them praying over me and just having that fellowship, having that community with the saints also helped a lot too as well. Um, and you want brothers and sisters who are rooted in your life, okay? You want these people who can encourage you, who can give you truth when maybe you don't really feel like hearing it. Um, but, man, you need community with one another, you know, and and. Um, so that's, that's one way to pursue God. Um, we are refined best in the furnace, furnace of community. And again, it just goes back to other people building you up, other people um, telling you truth you may not want to hear. And it's, it's encouraging, and, and, and it works too as well. Um, Matt Chandler says this. I don't have this quote on, on there. But he says, being in community will be exposed in our nature, exposing our pride, exposing our fears. But what comes along with that is being exposed at that level that God sanctifies and grows us in confidence with one another. Okay. Um, the next one that James goes over is um, we are serious about sin. We are serious about sin in two ways. Um, and he says in verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, and James is saying here, that you not only not be serious about your sin um, on the outside, the visible sin that us Christians, we always are quick to call out, or we always see, but also be serious about the sin, again, that's deep in with, um, inside of you, whether that's your lust, whether that's your thoughts, whether that's your selfish motives that keep causing conflict or your selfish motives that, that are causing you to pray differently to God. Um, he is telling us our watchfulness and seriousness about sin, and not just about our actions, but about our desires too as well. Um, James is saying, man, pay attention to that. Confess that, take it captive, fight those things, because it's not just an outward thing, but it's also deep down inside of you. Okay, and James is obviously talking about repentance here. Um, and he even, he goes on a step further too in this next verse. Um, he says, <clears throat> be wretched, wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Uh, that sounds like really depressing. Um, and before, <clears throat> sounds really depressing. James is saying mourn, weep, well, why? And why? why is he saying that? Why, why, why can't it be something happy? Why, why is he telling us to, it sounds like he's telling us just to be super sad about it and to be depressed about it. Uh, not necessarily. Um, I like to read about the Puritans. I like to read about guys who are dead now. Um, the Puritans, that's, that's, but they were really, really deep thinkers, the Puritans. Um, some of their stuff's hard to read, um, but I, I've grown to really love and enjoy them. Um, one of the things that they would pray for, though, is tears. They, they, would, pray, um, they would pray for tears. They would pray to be grieved by their sins. Um, when they felt like the weight of their rebellion against God wasn't falling on their hearts, they would literally stop and ask God to help them mourn about their own sin. Okay? 
not necessarily saying that maybe all the time that has to happen, right? Um, but James, James is challenging us here. He's, challenge, he's challenging us to really think about your sin, really think about the effect that it has not only to other people, but also your relationship with God, okay? Um, I think immediately when I think about this, because when I think about this, I'm thinking about people getting emotional and stuff like that. I know some of you guys are thinking, man, LV, I don't get emotional like that, man. You're playing with me. I don't get emotional. Um, and I would just, I would really ask you to really think about, like, because for, especially for guys, girls, you know, you guys, y'all already kind of emotional a little bit. But for boys, for boys, men, all right, we, we love sports. We, we love doing a lot of things. So, so guys, you can't tell me you're not emotional because you guys get it. We, we get emotional, not y'all. We get emotional all the time when it comes to football, basketball, working out, all right? I see it all the time over social media. I think everybody in here is emotional to an extent, okay? Because we all get excited about things. Some of y'all even cry when your sports team loses. I know I've, I've done that before. Um, but we're, we're all emotional here to some extent. Girls just show it easier with some things, okay? Um, I'm definitely, I know I'm one of those more sensitive, emotional guys. So anyways, but... Um, Again, but uh, James is, again, he's challenging us here to, to really, I, I wouldn't even use the term emotional over our sin, um, but really just think deeply about it, really just um, grieving over our sin and just the effect that it's having not only on us, but again, our um, relationship with God. And so and my encouragement to you guys is I think there will be a time um, when God wants you, God is pressing upon you to really cry out unto the Lord to really mourn over your sin, whether that's a really, really big sin that you might have did and it might have hurt your relationship with other people, or it may be just something that is, I would say, a quote-unquote small sin that God is really pressing upon you to really stop doing, to stop thinking about. Um, but, but again, James, he, he's challenging us, and a lot of us here, we don't do that. We don't grieve over our sin. We kind of just push it under the rug. We'll say a prayer at night or whatever. And we'll just move along with, with, our, with our day. Um, uh, Charles Spurgeon said on, on repentance, because this is what we're talking about here, the discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed, a resolution to, to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. And that's repentance. That's what James is calling us here to do. As we submit to God, okay, not only are we resisting the devil, we're rebuking the devil in our lives. We're not believing anything he brings us. We're drawing near to God. We're, we're desiring God. We're pursuing God with all the, 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 the resources that God has given us through his word, through the saints, prayer, other things. Um, but he's also telling us, man, you have to get in this state too as well where you have to realize who you are as a sinner, and why you are in need of God's grace. If you don't recognize these things, if you don't recognize that um, you do need to repent of your sin, that you do need to turn away um, from the sin that, that is causing you, that is to act a certain way, um, then you're not going to reach this position of being humble, receiving God's grace. And again, James is seeing these Christians in this church, acting like this. They are showing, they are displaying 
this worldly, unchristlike behavior, and James is just rebuking them, and he's calling them back, and he's telling them, hey, God wants you to acknowledge your guilt before him, but at the same time, he wants you back, and he wants to call you to repentance. He wants you back. He wants to give grace to you, um, but man, you have to recognize where you are. You have to recognize the state that you're in. Um, John Piper says this, repentant means experiencing a change of mind that, new, that, um, that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all praise and all of our um, obedience. I think once that happens, once we repent of our sins, um, and once we truly see um, that the sin that we once loved, once we truly see what it is, again, we're able to see God as, as more attractive, we're able to see God as more beautiful um, than he was before, right? Um, the last verse here says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And James is kind of, he ends it right there. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And, he, and it goes back to me saying, part of humbling ourselves is recognizing who we are as sinners, what we've done, um, and once we do that, we'll discover what it means for God to draw near to us. Because if we can't do that, guys, if we can't recognize all the sin that we've committed, all the, the unchristlike behavior that we're doing, then we're not going to recognize what it means, what it looks like to draw close to God. Um, and again, James is telling us again here, um, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And it's crazy, too, is it's one of the, um, it's one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. Like, the, you know, the world won't tell you that, you know, your job won't. But the lower we are, the more lifted we are. That makes sense? When we weep over our sin, when we are crying out, when we're mourning, we are recognizing our weaknesses, okay? Once we do that, it's crazy, right? Like, God lifts us up. He gives us grace generously. He takes us back. He forgives us, all right? He, re- he continues to redeem us, Right? No other religion will do that. The world's values, they're not going to do that, but God does. That's, that's crazy. That's a, that's a paradox of the Christian faith um, because, again, we are um, lowering ourselves and we are telling ourselves, man, we're, we're not all that great. We're not all that good. And yet God continued to um, bring us in and give us grace when we need it. Um, God humbles us not to keep us down, but to lift us up. And, um, and I'll leave it at this. Um, as believers, when we are marked by this kind of behavior that James is telling us that he's writing to his readers about, being in conflict, not handling, handling that the right way, how it affects our prayer life, how we are spiritually unfaithful to God, when all those things start showing and there's being more evident in our lives, it shows a lack of trusting in God. It shows a lack of us submitting to all what God has for us, right? And, and James is encouraging us here. He's telling us, yo, like, you don't have to stay in that state. Like, as Christians, we operate differently. We are to respond differently to these, to these things that come into our life. We are to respond differently when we are in a conflict, a conflict, we are to respond differently where maybe our hearts aren't in the right place as far as praying or as far as going back into the world, its values and things like that. 
And um, I just want to encourage you guys, um, this holiday season, the rest of the school year, the rest of your lives, um, as believers, you know, we will fall, least flash. But at the same time, uh, remind yourselves of God's relentless grace towards your life. And he wants to give that generously to you. All right. The thing is for us is receiving that, not only but receiving it, but also when we receive God's grace, we submit to what God all has us for. And we also, um, we also do that willingly knowing that he loves us and he wants the best for us. Okay. That's my encouragement to you guys. Um, I'll close this out in prayer, and then I have a couple of questions for you guys. So, Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you, Lord. We <clears throat> come to you, Lord, knowing that uh, we do not have it all together. That uh, you know, more than enough, I think, Lord, we don't give you our attention. We don't give you our time. Um, we we kind of look like, at times unbelievers, and um, Father God, what, what James lays out here in this passage of Scripture um, should be encouraging to us, um, because you don't forsake us, you don't push us aside, um, but you, you come in, you jealously long for, want our attention, you want our undivided devotion to you, Lord, and um, we, we don't do that all the time, Father God. And so I pray just um, just a, a convicting that the Holy Spirit will come in and, and show us in our lives areas that we're not giving all to you, Lord. And um, I just pray, Father God, as, as we continue to move forward in the holidays and stuff like that, we don't get so consumed with time, but we always make room for you, O Lord. And um, teach us what it means, Father, to submit to your will to resist the enemy, to draw close to you, um, to live a life of repentance, to humble ourselves before you, Lord. Man, some of us here could be so arrogant and, and think we know it all, Lord. And, um, Father, that's a, maybe that's a sin that you need to break upon us, Lord. And I just pray, um, again, when we get around other believers, they can graciously show us that truth. When we read your word, you can show us these things where we need um, change in our lives, Lord. And I just pray when we do that, um, we humbly um, go to you, Father God, and we recognize the state that we're in. And um, Father God, again, Scripture says that, that you will not forsake us, um, that, but you want to lavish that grace over our lives, Lord. And so that's my prayer for us here, Lord. Um, watch over us this holiday season. I pray that we have, um, we all have a good Thanksgiving, Lord. And um, we love you, God. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.